you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists. Like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25 until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real Steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. And now, move the sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Move the Sticks, presented by Zaxby's DJ Bucky back with you. Buck, how you doing, man? Man, I'm good. Uh, you know, we had an eventful weekend. Uh, obviously, the holiday weekend, we had a lot of football sprinkled in there. The league is definitely separating. We're beginning to kind of have a crystallization of the playoff picture. And so things are good. And I think this is always the exciting time uh, for us as evaluators to see how these teams kind of finish strong. Uh, a lot of what is made uh, in terms of the teams that go into the Super Bowl are not necessarily the teams that have played hot from beginning to end, but the teams that kind of find their way the middle to the last quarter of the season, they ride that momentum. And so trying to identify which of those teams it's fit, but DJ, I'm gonna be honest with you. When when I look at the playoff picture, um, in the AFC, there are two teams that stand out. Obviously, the Kansas City Chiefs and the Pittsburgh yeah. Steelers. Um, and then in the NFC, it's it's really wide open. I wide think open, the man. NFC more than than um, 
at any other time is so wide open. And I think the playoff picture where the matchups really matter, that's going to be a big, big deal. All right, we, we've got a lot of ground to cover today. We're going to get into a little bit of what we saw in that ugly football game last night with the Eagles and the Seahawks. We'll touch on Carson Wentz and what's going on there uh, with them. Uh want to have a good discussion because we've talked about names, uh, potential head coaches, but I, I want to get into the discussion of what, what qualities do we want in a head coach? What you know, Try and figure out um, if we can set kind of the picture of, of who's going to be that next great coach, and maybe that'll lead us to uh, – to some names there to have that conversation. And then, uh, you know, with the with the uh, struggles of Mitchell Trubisky coming back into the lineup there for the Bears, we can do a little bit of a broader discussion. Uh, Trubisky was a one-year guy there at North Carolina. So we're going to do a little bit of a dive, a little deep dive here on the last uh, four classes about how much playtime those guys got, those top quarterbacks, and if we can, if we can learn anything from that. So I think we've got a, a lot of ground to cover here. I guess I'll, I'll, I'll tee you up first here, Buck. Before we get to this Eagles game, um, you mentioned uh, the two teams in the AFC and a stat that we've always talked about on here for, gosh, going on five plus years is sack differential mm. and sack differential meaning just how many sacks do you get uh, versus how many sacks do you give up. And the Pittsburgh Steelers are number one. They are number one in sacks for their defense. They're number one in fewest sacks allowed for their offense. And if you're looking for something that bodes well for your future, that is a pretty impressive statistic. Yeah, now, what's funny about the Pittsburgh Steelers because people have taken them to task for not necessarily having a dominant running game. But what I see from them is their quick rhythm passing game is their running game. The ball comes out from Ben Roethlisberger quicker than any other quarterback. Um, the last time I checked, his average uh, touch to throw time was 2.31 seconds. And so it's a lot of quick rhythm passes, a lot of short, shallow crosses, some bubble screens, some quick, quick post-ups. And they're relying on their playmakers to break tackles and make things happen. And when you look at the way they built that wide receiver core, you have Juju Smith-Schuster and Chase Claypool and James Washington, Deontay Johnson, and then Eric Ebron. All of those guys are very, very talented catch-and-run playmakers. And so it is what I call a very controlled offense, but it is one that has some explosive potential because if your guys aren't sure tacklers, it can be very, very problematic to deal with all the different weapons that they have out there. Yeah, I mean, look, at the end of the day, if you can't if you can't get to their quarterback, either because you're protecting so well or because the ball's coming out, that's a good thing. And then when you can heat up the other quarterback, that's a good thing. So, And, and you know this because you, you saw it a lot when Phillip Rivers was with the Chargers. The Pittsburgh Steelers do an empty formation more than any other team. Yeah. And so what they want to do is they want to go empty five out. They want Ben Roethlisberger – to really he's beat you with his brain, and, he, and he's going to beat you. He's and he also by doing that, there are only so many different ways that you can cover an empty formation. Like it, it, it eliminates a lot of the pre-snap disguise or whatever. And for a veteran quarterback who has been in a lot of games, had a lot of reps, it just makes the game so much easier for him. All right, let's let's get into what we saw last night. Uh, I guess we can start on the Eagle side of things before we get over to the Seahawks side of things. Go for it, Buck. Your takeaway. Um, my my takeaway is this, and, and and it's one of the things we'll talk about with head coaches or whatever. I just believe that there's been so much conversation on the outside about Carson Wentz and the Eagles offense that I think right now Doug Peterson and the staff, they're just kind of at a loss. And I feel like they're just kind of grasping at straws. And one of the things that you would like to see from your head coach that they have something that they can hang their hat on. Part of the reason why you want to have a system in place is because when everything gets 
Harry and Arai, hey, let's go back to the basics of the system. And when I look at the Eagles play, I can't recognize what their system is, whether it's West Coast, whether it's the Shanahan system, whether it's um, the three-digit vertical game that was popularized by Norv Turner. I don't know what they're built on. And if you don't have a foundation for what the offense is built upon or what the quarterback does really well, I think it's hard to help him work out of his struggles when you don't have that ability to do so. And I think that is on the play caller to find ways to solve the problems for the quarterback. Hey, Carson, you're not good in these assets, but you've been really good with the bootleg game. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to put five to six different kind of bootlegs, and we're going to run those over and over again until you get into a rhythm. I just think it's like when we play basketball as a kid. If your jump shot isn't falling, the first thing they tell you to do is drive to the bucket and either get a layup or go to the line so you can hit a free throw. But you want to <laughs> yeah. see the ball going See it go through. Yes, yeah. and I think for Carson Wentz, he's not seeing the ball go through the hoop enough to really – rebuild his confidence and the funny thing is this we've been talking about this all season and yet here they are still with the chance to get into the playoffs and so at some point you're like can someone in the building like come up with a plan to hey let's get the quarterback going what is that plan how can we do it yeah on, on the Wentz thing um look I, I think our, our buddy Dan Orlovsky's done a good job of explaining you know not not featuring kind of what he does best in terms of getting him on the move and get him outside the pocket get him comfortable there you touched on the lack of layups uh built in I think when you kind of do the golf Wentz thing you can look at that offense with mm-hmm. Sean McVay and you can find some of those 10 throws a game where you're like okay these give me some gimmies um that being said Carson mechanically is a mess his 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 delivery has gotten longer um he's had the stride issue which we've talked about so mechanically you've got issues you can clearly see he's not throwing with confidence. I mean, he's guiding mm-hmm. the football. It, there's bad misses. I mean, he's 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 got a lot of work that needs to be done in the shop. Now, whether you can say we need to set, shut him down for the rest of the year, try and work on that stuff, whether it's okay, we need to get, you know, whether it's a new coordinator, whether there's a whole new coaching staff and try and reboot him uh, next year. But I, I think, you know, I, I, again, I see this narrative kind of going out there about, oh, tw- it's not 2017 anymore. He, he was good last year. This guy's had three good years in a row, and he's no- looks nothing like what he's looked like. He is, I mean, it is precipitous to say the least in terms of the drop-off with, with his play and how bad it's gotten. But I, I think you also touched on something where, what's their system? I mean, I think you've got elements of, of what Chip Kelly was doing when he was there. You've got elements with Scangarello coming over of some of the Shanahan scheme. You've got some of, you know, what Doug Peterson's believed in and what he's run. And I think it's just like this hodgepodge. And I think there's a difference between a a bunch of smart people coming together and working together and crafting a scheme that, that, that works and builds off of each other. And you kind of come together. It's a collaboration, right? Mm -hmm. And we say, okay, we're building this offense, but still this leads to this. This is going to set up that there's, there's rhyme or reason to everything you do versus we've got four different offenses. Give me your three plays. I'll take your two plays. Give me your five plays. That's what it looks like to me when you're watching it. Yeah, DJ, because there's a difference between having a system and having a call sheet of plays. Yes. Your call sheet of plays are just individual plays that don't set up one another. Um, a system has a set of tactics and counter tactics that build upon each other. Eight. Hey, if you do this, then we do that. Like, it's very easy. And one of the reasons I've been a huge advocate of the Shanahan system and what they do is because, to me, it's very, very clear. I see yes. exactly what it is. They're, they're going to run outside zone, 
If you over pursue the outside zone, they're coming right back out and they're going to run the bootleg. If they can get you with the zone and they're gassing you, well, then they're going to set it up with a wide zone play action and they're going to take a shot. And each and every week, I know exactly what I'm getting. Now, it's on the play caller to creatively get us to those compliments in a different way each week. But I know if we watch six games together, we're going to be like, okay, man, how many times have we seen this deep over concept? Yeah. How many yeah. times have we seen this bootleg concept? It may be a different way to get to it, but it's the same read for the quarterback. And when mm-hmm. I look at Doug Peterson and I look at the Eagles offense, I don't see that. And my suggestion would be for them to, man, strip it down to the studs in terms of yeah. I would try for one week with Carson, I would try to have a game plan with maybe 25 plays, like something simple. And I would ask him, hey, what are what are the things that you feel most comfortable throwing right now? Because he he's in, look, he's in a slump. He's a golfer in a slump. What do you feel good? I'm going to put it on me to get you to those plays a bunch of different ways. Yep. He just needs to have a solid game so he can build upon it. Yeah, I want to get your thoughts on kind of the big picture with the organization because a lot of talk about, okay, do you change the head coach? You know, Howie Roseman got a lot of heat in that in that game last night. Ooh, sound, and sound I'm sitting – um, sounded, sounded very personal. Yeah, very, very well, personal. You know? <laughs> it's ridiculous. Yeah, I'll, I'll leave that alone. But yeah. the the uh, the, uh, the thing to me is this is not like – I feel like the way it's being described a little bit is like this is the, you know, a Cleveland Browns organization pre-2020 where it's like this team has had – hadn't had a winning record in 10 years and hasn't had found any success. I mean, I'm not crazy, right? I think they've been to the playoffs three straight years and won a Super Bowl. A championship, a legitimate Super Bowl uh, team that was constructed and, and Doug Peterson coached them and they won the dang Super Bowl. Like we're, I think some of this notion that they haven't accomplished anything, like they're having an awful 2020. There's no doubt about it. And you can say pandemic and we can say injuries and all yeah, these other things, but quarterbacks regressed, all those things. Everybody has their excuses. I'm not making excuses for them. But we always say, like, you got to build up, you got to build up some capital, right? You got to build up a little equity. And I feel like, man, you win a Super Bowl for crying out loud. You've been to the playoffs three straight years. I think you have a little bit of, of equity there that you could offset a clunker, which is, I, is, is what this is. I, I absolutely believe that. And I know that there have been calls for a they need to have major changes and the head coach needs to go and all this other stuff. But I will say the most stable organizations, Pittsburgh Steelers. They, hey, they, they weather the storm. Nope. They reset. Now, that reset could be, hey, Doug, let's, let's reevaluate the staff. Let's see how we can get better. Do we have the best people on our staff? Do we have the best system uh, for the quarterback? What, what are the things that we need to do? But I, I believe, hopefully, ownership has enough wherewithal to say, hey, man, we just got we, – we won the Super Bowl not too long ago. We have been in the playoffs. This has been a weird year because the pandemic and you just don't know how the pandemic has affected everybody. It's, it's, it's different. And I know there's going to be a, a champion crowned at the end of the year and those things. But this is a unique set of circumstances. I think great leaders have the ability to understand that this is a blip in the radar. Let's try and figure out a way to reinvent ourselves. The pieces of the puzzle are still here. We can do this. It just takes a lot of work. And I. I think it would be a mistake to move on right now because the quarterback can't go anywhere. Everyone that's talking about the quarterback and all that, he's not going anywhere. He's not going anywhere for at least two years just nope. looking at the cap situation. So 
how can we fix the quarterback? That is the main thing. The guy who's the biggest mm-hmm. advocate for the quarterback was the head coach. So yep. now the pressure I'm putting on is, Doug, you got to fix it. Fix the offense. Fix the quarterback. What are the plans in place? How are we going to get them going? And he needs to be able to really articulate it so we can go and build it out from there. But I think you move somebody else in, you have somebody else who's not as invested in the quarterback success because it wasn't their guy from the jump. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it's a, it's going to be interesting to see what happens there and what they end up doing. But, um, you know, and some of the personnel stuff, I mean, Andre Dillard's out for the year. You, you know, you look at, at Lane Johnson's I mean, been out in and out. Brandon Brooks might be the best guard in football. He ain't so played three this year. Starters. I mean, that's three so legit that's, players. That's, that's three starters. Like people, People don't talk about that because I know we're we're in the thing like, hey, no excuses. You play what you, what you play with, but that's a three, fact. I mean, that's not an excuse. Three legitimate starters on your offensive line. And I'm a believer now more than ever. If anything, DJ, we talk about building the squad. The first thing that we're building is we're going to make sure that we have a fortress up front. No the doubt. offensive line and the defensive line are the priority. You're going to make sure that you have – legit dudes on the offensive line because if you have an offensive line it can mask what you have in the backfield you don't need an a-level running back because you're dominant at the point of attack it protects the quarterback it allows you to do so much and so that's really where the problem is yes Carson is struggling but the struggles are magnified when you're not protected and you're hit and you're hit often and it changes the clock in your head yeah, and I, I want to make sure that people understand we're not we're not here just making excuses. Carson has been terrible. Carson has not played well. He has not been able to be what we like to say is a truck. He has not been able to raise everybody else's level around him with a lot of missing pieces, not absolving him of anything. And, and it can't continue like this going forward. He's not he's not good enough the way he's playing. So he deserves, rightfully so, some of the criticism that he's getting. But again, I will go back to he has some equity. He's got equity in this league. He's played at a high level as, as recently as last year. Mm-hmm. And then organizationally, no, they've made personnel mistakes. We sat on here and said it the night of the draft, and we said it afterwards. We would have taken Justin Jefferson instead of Jalen Rager. You know, there's other options. I think the DK Metcalf thing is a little bit muddy because of the medical stuff. People on the outside have no idea what team doctors do with these players. So sometimes that doesn't necessarily fall in personnel. Uh, But, yeah, there's been been personnel decisions that have made major mistakes, absolutely. But I think at some point in time you got to say, man, They've built up a little equity here. They, they deserve – if you're going to have one mulligan, I think they've earned one mulligan with what they've done. Well, absolutely, and I, and I think that certainly is there. And I, I, and I think for everybody, I mean, you, you reflect, you look at the decisions that you made, and then you try and figure out how you can get better. And I think um, at a higher level, when you're the general manager, what you also do is have I given, have I given the coach everything that I could give him to support him and his vision of what the team wants to play like? Secondly, the second most important person outside of the quarterback, have I given the quarterback enough weaponry to be what he needs to be? And, and I'm going to be honest, um, Alshon Jeffrey, Deshaun Jackson, Jaylen, when I look at their wide receiver court, they're simply not good enough. And I think no. some of this has to do not necessarily with Howie, but with Doug. And I know how we were reared in the Green Bay system where we felt like the system did everything, and so you maybe overvalue the system as opposed to the personnel. They need better personnel at wide receiver. Well, Alshon so, Jeffrey shouldn't be playing. I mean, that, that, I, I, that I, ship I, sailed. I, the move on, I, play I, the young like guys. Him, even, even with Deshaun Jackson, like you should have been able Same to find thing. a younger, big no. play player. And so they have to do a complete overhaul of the wide receiver core and not necessarily with just a bunch of newbies. 
you got to find some veterans that can come over, some moderately priced veterans that can come over and man those roles. But until they figure out the system with all the different noises and stuff, they got to streamline and figure out what is the system, what do we need, and they got to make sure that they build it to fit those things. Because right now you have a bunch of different things, that a bunch of different pieces that just don't work. Yeah, I guess one positive thing for the Eagles before we move on to the Seahawks, I believe the defense, you know, for Metcalf having that huge game, I think that was the second lowest output uh, for the Seahawks offense. It isn't with best offenses in football, um, and you're able to limit them in terms of what they have, 23 points in that game, Buck? Uh, yeah, I think it's the second lowest point total of the year. So the defense did their job, and, and I would say, look, and, and I give Darius Slay a lot of credit. He owned it after the game, but you make a trade and you pay a guy what they paid him, then when you get guys like DK Metcalf, that's what we're paying you for, man. That's you. That's yours this week. And he, yeah, he go, got he got beat. He got him. And then and here's the thing about him getting beat. He lost the 50-50 balls. I mean, yeah. he just lost he lost a handful of 50-50 balls. And DK Metcalf is a unique challenge in terms of his size and physicality. I looked at you can miss me with the Megatron comparisons. To me, he's not Megatron. He's not close. Like he's a big body playmaker. He reminds me more of T.O. than uh, Megatron in terms of just the overall physical, which ain't uh, bad. But. Yeah, the, the physicality <laughs> that it brings to the table. But um, you know, hey, Darius Slay had a tough one. But I mean, when you you pay the guy, he's just shut down corner. There are going to be some days like that. And even that said, they still had opportunity. If they could have gotten anything from the offense, I mean, that's a game that you want. The magic number in the National Football League from a defensive standpoint is seventeen points. If your team is able to hold a team close to 17, you should be able to win most games in the National Football League. And so the yeah. fact that they held them 23, you should have been in the mix. It should have been a game that was decided under two minutes. No, I, I agree with you. I mean, uh, I have to look it up and see what their their points are. Yeah, Buck, they're averaging almost 31 points a game. They're third in the league in scoring. They're averaging 30.8. So you held them at 23 points, a touchdown below their normal output. You, you gave yourself a chance. But, uh, again, I think we've done enough on the Eagles, enough on that. Over to the Seahawks. You mentioned the NFC is kind of uh, kind of wide open. Where, where are you at on these guys going forward? Well, I mean, we're going to get a skewed picture, right, because the schedule breaks for them. And so the defense is going to look much better uh, going down the stretch. I will say this about the Seahawks. Um, they have to do a little bit of what they did last night where they didn't put it so much in Russ's hands because Russ is great. I mean, he's a force mm-hmm. of nature. They can score a bunch of points. But their formula is not Russ throwing the ball 30 to 35 times and kind of running around making plays. They want to be selectively explosive, as I call it. They want to run Chris Carson enough. They want to get the ball to Carlos Hyde. They want to be able to control it um, and really own time of possession so they can protect their defense. Defensively, it is what it is, DJ. We've we, we talked about it. Carlos Dunlap was there. He was giving them pass rush. He goes out. So what do they do? They dial up a bunch of pressures with Jamal Adams. Jamal Adams is their best pass rusher. That's what he is. He's he's occupying and playing the role that Troy Polamalu played in that defense at SC. Like, that's what he does. And if we evaluate him as something other than that, we're wrong. He's a hybrid linebacker slash pass rusher. And whenever they need a big play, they're sending him forward, not having him go backwards. And mm-hmm. so he gives them juice. He was all over the place. For whatever reason, the Eagles couldn't really monitor his whereabouts. And so he probably had a bigger impact on this game than I think some teams would allow him to because he's a designated rusher off the edge. Yeah, I feel like, again, I keep going back to this MMA analogy there, which is, all right, if the fight stays if the fight stays on the ground or whatever, <laughs> you don't want to mess with that dude. When he starts standing up, different, different story. And good for Pete Carroll. He's figured out a way to put him in a situation where he does what he does best. 
And and I and I think that's the thing. He is a he's a a low box defender, and he may bristle at the notion of being a box area safety, but he is at his best with his instincts and awareness and toughness, being muted on a scrimmage, running through holes, green dog blitzing, doing all those other things. Like it's a way for him to be very very active. And I will go back. He reminds me a lot of one of my teammates that I played with in Green Bay, Leroy Butler. Um, he was one of the first ones to play that role in Fritz, Fritz Shermer's defense, where he would come come off the edge. He would compile sacks and force fumbles and all that other stuff. And that's what Jamal Adams does. All right. I want to get into this discussion before we get into talking about some quarterback stuff here. I, I want to talk about head coaches. And we've talked about names before, but I, I want to go over – I spent some time putting this together, the qualities that you want in your head coach. And we've talked – We've talked to a lot of uh, of successful coaches, and I wanted to kind of put an image in my mind because it's, it's almost like quarterbacks, right? They're all, all different sizes, different skill sets, but what do they have in common? What makes the great ones great? And so I looked around the league right now, guys that have had longevity and success in the NFL right now, and these are the names that I wrote down. Andy Reid, who I had a chance to be around, Bill Belichick, Mike Tomlin, Sean Payton, Pete Carroll, John Harbaugh. So those guys have – all won Super Bowls. They're all Super Bowl winning head coaches. They all have longevity and they've all been consistent winners through, throughout time. Now we can be cynics and say, well, they've had, you know, Hall of Fame quarterbacks with them as well. No doubt. But I think that they're great coaches and I think they do it all. They have different styles, different personalities. But when I put down on this sheet here, the three things, if I come up with three things that I want in a head coach, the qualities of a head coach, if you're a team and you're looking for one right now, let me give you the three that I came up with here. Um, we start with with the leader. And I think that's, you know, that makes a lot of sense, right? We talk about you want a great leader. Well, what does that mean? I, I wrote down to me an excellent communicator. You start there. You got to be able to cast the vision. What is it? What do we want it to look like? You got to be able to create the culture. What type of environment are we going to have on a daily basis? And you've got to be able to cultivate relationships. Mm -hmm. So I need a head coach that can do all those things. He's got to cast the vision, create the culture, and he's got to be able to cultivate the relationships. I don't need somebody stuck in their corner office working on plays all day long. Uh, yeah. But that that's the first one. So I'll rip through the three of these, Buck. And I'd love to get your feedback on them. So we've got leader. Next, we've got teacher. And the way I kind of define that is I want somebody who prioritizes details, meaning we are going to be buttoned up when it comes to the details of the game and somebody that also prioritizes development. And that's on an individual level. I want somebody that can help each individual player get better. And a lot of that comes with being able to cast a vision for them. This is the program. Mm -hmm. Here's where you are. This is what I need you to do going forward. But I think of somebody like Matt Rule, who I hear stories about is in each individual meeting room and can actually coach each position. He's spent time on both sides of the ball um, and he's got an understanding there. So we've got leader, we've got teacher. And lastly, I think this is the most important one. Think about these coaches again, Andy Reid, Belichick, Tomlin, John Harbaugh, Sean Payton, Pete Carroll. I think one of those things all those guys have in common is authentic. Like mm -hmm. be who you are. I don't need you to be the next Bill Belichick. I don't need, I don't want the Whopper junior. I want the Whopper. Like just be yourself. And, and to me, I wrote down authentic. That means you're honest, you're reliable, and you're dependable. That means when things are going good, things are going bad. You're the same guy. You're not trying to be Tommy tough guy. You're not trying to be Mr. Motivational speaker. If that's not who you are, just be authentic. Andy Reed and Mike Tomlin could not have any more different personalities but they both get the job done because they're comfortable in their own skin. They are who they are. They're authentic, honest, reliable, dependable. That's it. So leader, teacher, authentic. 
that's it. It's pretty simple. Look, I, I, I love those traits. And it's funny because I, I, I was sitting there and I, I made a list of uh, characteristics for myself, but and a lot of there's a there's a lot of blend. But in just speaking to you like leader, I think without question, it has to be first and foremost, because I think you have to be uh, able to get everyone pulling the boat in the right direction. Like whatever that is, whatever we're doing, everyone is on board. And so that is your leadership style, your ability to to get people on board. Teacher, I think, is something that is underrated, right? It's underrated from a head coaching standpoint. I believe your position coaches for sure need to be teachers and developers, but your head coach, the reason your head coach needs to be a teacher is because the management piece, right? DJ is being able to, as we're sitting in a team meeting and we're watching the game and we're watching the tape, is being able to pause the tape and say, here's the situation. Here's why we're doing this. This is why. It's being able to explain the why so everyone in the room is like, oh, okay, I get it. As opposed to, hey, this is what we're doing. We're taking the safety, blase, blase, blase. That is really important. And I think the teacher part is not really talked about enough. And then the authenticity. Um, I put this thing out about the Patriots stuff, right? Like right after mm-hmm. Matt Patricia was fired and all the other stuff. Because here's what's funny, DJ. Friday night? Yeah, Friday night. Friday night, I was, I was whatever, going through YouTube or whatever. And I found a thing with Matt Patricia speaking at a clinic at Notre Dame. And there were a million notes that I took because it was actually great. Like it was great as a high school kid. It was about fundamentals. It was about tackling. He's very clear and articulate or whatever. And then this was before he became the head coach of Detroit. This is when he was a D coordinator with the Patriots. And I just feel like if that guy was the one that showed up, then they would have been fine. But the other guy who showed up and, and, and did whatever he did, I knew, and I'm going to say this about Matt Patricia, and here's why I knew he was going to have a problem. You know, he had always worn his hat backwards when he's with the New England Patriots, right? Yeah. Always wore it backwards. He had the pencil stuck in there, but it was always backward. And when he relented after one game of receiving criticism on why he had his hat backwards, I knew he would have a problem because he wasn't being himself. If you've done that for 10 years, and that's who you are, and that's how you rock your hat, you don't change because you hear <laughs> Joe Beat reporter tell yeah. you, hey, why you, hey, man, this is what I do. And I'm unapologetic about it. Because if I'm going to go down, go down being yourself. Go down being exactly who you are. Now, I'm, I'm going to talk to my traits, and yeah. there's a lot of crossover between, and I broke it down in five. So I, I said leader. Uh, I believe the head coach has to be able to do this every day. He has to be able to encourage, enlighten, and inspire. He has to be able to get the guys going. He has to be able to teach them, which is the enlightened part. And he has to be able to motivate them to be able to do whatever whatever it is that he wants. Get the group going in the right direction. He needs to be a visionary. You pointed this out. The head coach, when he stands in front of the room, and, and this is not just in front of the team, but this is in front of the scouts and everybody. Here's the vision for what we're going to be And here's how we're going to get there. And here's what I need each of you to do so we can make this happen. Is really being able to allow me to imagine how we're going to be a championship team. And each and every day, you give me a reminder of this is why these little jobs that you're doing are important. Because as part of the bigger picture, this is where we're going. He needs to be a great communicator. And being a great communicator is not being the motivational speaker. It's being very clear and direct. Here's what I need. Here's what we need. This is what I need from you. It needs it, it needs to be just very direct. 
submit, set and communicate the expectations, make the corrections, challenge, confront when you need to, but it's being able to do all those things. He needs to be a problem solver. One of the bigger things that the head coach can do is as he's looking at the operation, whether he's managing a side of the ball or not, he has to be able to look and see what's going on. He has to be able to identify the problems, anticipate potential problems, and have an answer for fixing them right away. Because the longer those problems linger, the bigger that it comes back to bite you when you really need it. What's needed? How do we do it better? How do we get there? And then finally, I believe, just like in players, the head coach has to have grit and resiliency. Mm -hmm. He has to be able to, if we get off to a slow start, if we're 0-5, 0-6, he has to have enough toughness about him that he doesn't cave in to all the outside noise, that he's resolute in his plan and his process. He knows that the process is going to work. He may have to tweak it, but he has enough confidence in knowing, oh, we'll get this turnaround. We just have to figure out how to do it, but we will get it turned around. And he can't cave to all of the pressure of everything that's going on. And it's a tough deal, but they have to have those things. And those traits for me were shaped I was like Marv Levy, Hall of Fame. Mike Holmgren won Super Bowls. Tom Coughlin won two Super Bowls. John Gruden won a Super Bowl. And Marty Schottenheimer won 200 games. And as I looked at all of those guys, those traits were there. And I may not agree with their style, but those traits were there. And that's why they were really, really successful in what they were able to do. Uh, it's so good, man. I, I, there's a lot of crossover there going through all that. I like encourage, enlighten, inspire, uh, especially. And guys can do that in different ways. Like I, I'll give you an example. Jim Caldwell, mm-hmm. um, who is, if you look at his record and what he's been able to do, absolutely deserves another chance to be a head coach. I know he's a little bit older, um, but we can, you know, we talked about Patricia. Look at the job that Caldwell did there before Patricia got there. But um, I was talking to somebody that had been on that staff with him, and I said, tell, tell me a little bit more about him. Um, because it seems like such he's a quiet man, and you've known him. He recruited me, so I've known him for a long oh, time. He did. He recruited yeah. You, yeah, yeah. So uh, I'm like, how do how do you get accountability when you have kind of more of a quiet personality? And he said, he's like, let me give you an example. He said we had guys who would jump off sides, right? So instead, he never said one word about it, right? Never said a thing in the team like, hey, you know, we're running gasters. If you're jumping off sides, take a lap. No, he said, you know what he did? He said, they have monitors all throughout the building. And so all of a sudden, one day you come in there and it says, uh, jumped off sides and has a list of the guys who jumped off sides that day. Never mentioned it. Never mentioned in a meeting. Never mentioned on the grass. Nothing. But it got to the point where you're like, man, I don't want to be on that monitor. Everybody walks around, sees my name up there on that monitor. He found a way to hold the guys accountable without saying a word. I thought that is genius, man. Like that is you. A you didn't you didn't embarrass them and dress them down in front of their teammates. It's just it's just in the building. Hey, if you jump off sides, you get on the board. That's it. It, Very simple. And I and I I actually love that part. And I I will say this, DJ. Like he was at Wake Forest when I was at North Carolina. He was coming in. It was right. I think my last year may have been his first year at Wake Forest. And I just always remember looking over the sideline and just the way he carried himself. He just carried himself like a pro. Like he was just very buttoned up. He was very detailed. He carried himself like you would like to envision your head coach. He wasn't a yeller and a screamer. He was all those things. And when I visited him at Detroit and I watched his teams go about it, I was like, man, this dude is just so calm. He kind of reminded me of like 
how you would play for your dad or how you would play for yeah. your granddad. Like, look, you don't want to let them down because they have a high standard and they won't berate you, but you know when you've disappointed them. It's almost mm-hmm. like going to the house and you know where you screwed up and they don't say a word, but you know. And I think he he was able to do that. And it's funny you talk about the monitor and those things. This is what I think Coach Brown said this on our podcast. He said, you can be demanding, but not demeaning. Exactly. You can demand a lot from them, but don't demean them. And mm-hmm. so the standards are there. You know what the standards are. Hey, we'll correct you on it. I'm never going to embarrass you. I'm never going to curse at you. I'm never yep. going to do all those things, but we're going to hold you accountable. And that was Jim Caldwell's way of holding people accountable. And I think you can do that in whatever your own style is. But I will say you have a short shelf life. If you can be the guy that is calling people out and screaming and embarrassing them or whatever, you can do that, but you better win because if mm-hmm. you don't win, if you don't hold yourself to that same standard that you're holding the players to, it disappears and it disappears quickly. Yeah. I mean, I, Give me your thoughts on this because we've just you went through all these list of things: problem solvers, identify and anticipate problems, um, the grit, the resilience. I feel like there's a lot of crossover on what we're talking about the leadership yeah. stuff. And I, to me, when I just look at all of it, Buck, I, I think that the one word that I'm left with, and and I just keep coming back to authentic. There's different ways to get to the finish line, but you got to be you. Don't I don't. First of all, if I'm interviewing you and you're telling me about what you've done. And then where you tell me, you know, what you're going to be like as a head coach, if there's a difference between what you've done and what you're going to do as a head coach, I don't want you. I want to know what I'm buying. I want to know that I'm buying the guy that's actually tried this stuff out and it's been successful. And I'm going to bring that in. I'm not hoping that you're going to come in here and all of a sudden magically turn into some super coach that you've never been before. Like, that's crazy to me. It, it, it is crazy. And, you know, it, it's funny because um, this year is unique because we may have, what, seven or eight openings. Yeah. Um, you're trying to identify like who who are the hot candidates, whether they're coordinators or position coaches or whatever. Um, for some of these jobs, I don't believe those guys are the right fits. You and I have yeah. talked offline about this may be a year where we see more college guys get jobs because the one thing that I will say about the college thing, and, and this really resonated with me when we talked to Brian Kelly a few weeks ago. When Brian Kelly, you asked him a question about, Coach, you've been able to take this program in terms of you build it up at multiple spots and have had success. I know that you're going to be able to do that more times than not. Mm-hmm. When I look at Matt Rule, did it at Temple, did it at Baylor. The recipe is yeah. the recipe is is fine. It's, it's been tried and true. It's tested. I know exactly what I'm getting. I am more likely to lean into someone like that than I am a young guy who haven't seen it. And I know that's not fair to the guys who've never done it, but I'm just more likely to lean into a situation like that, particularly in some of these instances where you may be talking about a Detroit Lions team where you need maybe a cultural overhaul, uh, a mm-hmm. Jacksonville Jack, well, they haven't dismissed the coach, but if they were to dismiss the coach or whatever, like it could be a cultural change and an overhaul. Uh, some of these other things, you, you, you just need some fine tuning, but I don't know, man. I just think it's going to be a fascinating watch to kind of see how the pieces of the puzzle come together when we have these coaches searches. Well, it's interesting with the with the uh, six coaches that I mentioned, Super Bowl winning head coaches that have a lot of longevity and success split down the middle. Right. Andy Reid had been a previously been a head coach. Belichick had been a head coach. Pete Carroll had been a head coach um, at the NFL level and the collegiate level. Tomlin. No. Nope. John Harbaugh. No. Sean Payton. No. 
So 50-50, right? But I mean, those guys are special. You talk about Tomlin, Harbaugh, Peyton. Man, you're talking about big time, big time leaders. I mean, they hit, they hit every every check that we've we've gone over here. The other thing that I would say, especially in two of those cases, very stable organizations that give you the opportunity True. to fully run your program. And a lot of the machine was built, right? A lot of the machine was built in those locations. Yeah, New Orleans was the only one that wasn't that wasn't yep. built. Sean Payton had to build that one that one up. Um, this is a a little different, but. I kind of want to pick your brand because I got I got asked this and this is something that kind of came offline. I I was talking to uh, maybe, you know, him, Dwayne Walker, who used to be good. He's a good dude. He was a coach. Mexico State, UCLA. Yeah. Mexico State, UCLA, whatever. And I want you to think about this when we're thinking about the general manager job. Dwayne told me one day we were talking. He said, my biggest mistake when I was at New Mexico State is I went and I talked to all of these other coaches who were in di- different situations to me. So I went and talked to Urban Meyer. I went and talked to other guys who had all of the resources. Well, their plan for building a program is different <laughs> than the plan that I have to take at New Mexico State. And so, um, DJ, I think for some of these jobs, I think it's really important that the person that you put in the seat comes from a similar type deal. Meaning, for instance, we've talked about it, like, so I'm, I'm I'm taking a small market team. We'll just use Jacksonville because I'm tied to Jacksonville. So yeah. Jacksonville, to me, I'm thinking, okay, well, what is a situation that is very similar to this? And I think there are a handful of situations. Buffalo is a situation where it's small market team. You don't necessarily have all the things. Pittsburgh is like that. Green Bay is like that. There's some other things. I'm more likely to look at someone who has been around those kind of things and seeing how you've been able to do it there than – a New York Giants situation or a, or a Dallas Cowboys situation where it's a big market, big thing. You kind of have all of these outside resources. I just think it's really important that you identify people who understand what they're stepping into and they've had success in similar environments. So they don't come down here thinking that, oh, we're going to completely change the stuff. No, here's what you have to work with. Here's what you have to deal with. Do you have the wherewithal to make it work right now, right here where we are? Of all these guys, to me, Sean Payton would be the brain that I would want to pick. If, mm-hmm. if you're going to be the head coach, you're hiring the head coach there in Jacksonville. Sean Payton, because that was an organization who had success with the Dome Patrol, but that was going back quite a few years. Hadn't had, had a lot of success. Hadn't had a lot of success. Um, and just kind of really an afterthought in the NFL, to be quite honest with you. Not a not a, a, hist- a stable organization in terms of historical success. So to me... The, you know, talking to John Harbaugh, who walked into Baltimore after they, you know, hadn't won, had won a Super Bowl, been to the playoffs a bunch, and obviously the Pittsburgh Steelers with all the trophies they had uh, with Mike Tomlin, it, different. And I think when you look at Andy Reid and, and Belichick, those it's just a different situation. Sean Payton taking over New Orleans to me would be kind of the blueprint. That's what you're you're trying to find the next Sean Payton to me if you're Jacksonville. Yeah, and I think I think I think that's a that's a great one because you know I really hadn't had a, a great appreciation for what Sean. Peyton had to do, but when you think about New Orleans, New Orleans have been down in the dumps. Not like, to mention as Katrina that comes in right on. Right Katrina's come in. They didn't have any significant history. This wasn't a perennial winner that you're trying to bring back. There's nothing, you know. We talk about traditions and things that you can hang your hat on. Having played in Green Bay, DJ, I can tell you everything always went back to the Lombardi era, because you're in that town and because that town really connected with Lombardi and the titles. You better have an appreciation for that history, and you couldn't deviate too far from how they did it during the Lomb- 
Barty era. And so that era was about like selflessness, team, not a lot of self-promotion. It was always about the Packers. Other organizations are different. And so I, I do believe you have to dig down and understand the history of where you're taking over and you have to embrace it. And if you don't have any history, then you have to find a way to build your own. But that takes someone who is a visionary, who does have a plan, who does have a process that will take them to that. Yeah. No, I think it's a good discussion, man. That was a lot of fun. Um, anything else you want to close up on that as we kind of move on here? No, no, no. I think I think we want to get to a quarterback discussion, right? We're yeah. So quarterback. quarterback thing. And uh, Nabil, you can uh, you can roll your fancy clip here on Mitchell Trubisky. <laughs> Go ahead. Whitney's second pick in the 2017 NFL Draft. The Chicago Bears select Mitchell Trubisky. Whoa! Hello! Mitchell Trubisky is going to Chicago. Is it is it okay to be speechless in the second pick of the draft up here on the desk? Well, I guess that does speak words and volumes. Wow. But wow. What, what makes you speechless about it? Well, to me, I just thought with Glennon coming in there, I thought they would give him a shot to kind of see if he could do this thing. But I heard I had people tell me that Glennon contract, when you really study it, can be a right. one year and they can escape from it. So I don't think there's a big financial commitment there. Yeah, I was a little shocked on that one, Buck, when that one came down there with Trubisky. DJ, I would say that I was shocked too. And look, I, I, I love Mitch Trubisky because he's a Tar Heel. But I can also say that in going back there, there was a lot of surprise when Mitchell got the attention that he was receiving in the middle of his final year. Um, there were people that were like, hey, man, what's, what's up with all the um, attention that he's receiving? He hasn't really played a long time. And we actually thought he was going to be a guy that was going to be a two-year starter because he was going to come back for his final season and do that stuff. But he kind of rode the wave. I think what's interesting about the Mitchell Trubisky deal, and the one thing that I will never understand, Mitchell Trubisky and Deshaun Watson played in the same conference, in the same league. Mm -hmm. Deshaun Watson dominated that league. Dominated it. Mitchell Trubisky never had – he never had a signature game that was on top, on par with Deshaun Watson's game. He, he never had moments. He inherited a team that was 10-3 and three and went 8-5 and five, um, when he was a starting quarterback. And I'm not saying that all that is tied to the quarterback, but he hadn't played a lot. And so when I went and I saw him, and I remember watching him, I think I watched him play against NC State or whatever. He's a rhythm thrower. He has some stuff. I thought at his best he would be kind of an Alex Smith-like player. Um, good, solid right system, right support thing or whatever. I didn't view him as a generational dude, like a guy that hey, he just put him in any situation. He could revolutionize or reverse the fortunes of the franchise. And so it's a tough one. And when you are a franchise like the Bears and you make the decision and when you make the mistake on the quarterback and if you don't admit the mistake, man, it just proves to be problematic. And I think for Mitchell – it's not really fair to him, but he is always compared to Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson because those guys have gone on to do great things, and he hasn't. And I just think it creates a level of pressure within the organization for the quarterback, the general manager, and the coach that sometimes can be overwhelming. All right, I, I want to do a little exercise here because this is why we got into this because one of the, the, the thoughts on Trubisky was the one-year deal, right? So it was a limited number of snaps. So let's go back through the last four. Um, Trubisky had 572 pass attempts. So we're not talking snaps, talking pass attempts. 572. Mm-hmm. Watson had 1207 
Damn. And Mahomes had 1349. So more than double there. So, okay, so that's part of the theory as well. He just, you know, you, you're better off taking somebody who's thrown the ball a lot more in college. But it's interesting as you go back through these other years, let's go through 2018. Um, if we look at guys that threw it uh, uh, under 700 attempts, right? Josh Allen is the, is the one, 649. Not that much different than Trubisky, only 649 attempts. Josh Allen's been a hit, you know, based with with what's going on with him. Um, but you had Darnold, who had 846, which is not a ton, and that's so mm-hmm. far hasn't worked out great. Baker had 1,026, which is, a, you know, I think he, you know, look, he shouldn't have been the first pick, but he's a he's a yeah. okay, solid player, but he had over 1,000 attempts. Uh, Lamar Jackson, 1,086, obviously mm-hmm. a big hit there. And then uh, Rosen, but Rosen had 1,170. So Rosen had a lot, over 1,000, didn't work out. So yeah. a little bit of a mixed bag there. Um, I would say... You know, let's let's go through the ones who who didn't who we would say a no. We say obviously a yes on Watson and Mahomes. Trubisky's a no right now. Um, we would put I think you know for where they are, I think you probably have to put the no on Darnold for the time being. Yeah, and I think you put the no on Rosen for the time being. Yeah. Um. So those are the no's, and I think you know Baker's not going anywhere. He's gonna he'll be he's gonna be a functional starter. It's just, he is who he is. Um, yeah. All right. Yeah, let's go to 2019 real quick, Buck. 2019, uh, Murray 519. Wow, that's he had less than uh, uh, fewer th- throws than Trubisky. Haskins 590, so almost identical. Um, and we could put, I guess, for the time being, we'll put the arrow down on Haskins. Daniel Jones 1275, Drew Locke 1553. Ooh. so it's interesting, right? It's kind of a mixed it bag. It's a very mixed bag. Here's what I will say about the guys who have the fewer. Um, pass attempts. You can take a guy who doesn't have a lot of pass attempts if he has a superpower when it comes to his athleticism. Yeah. I think with Kyler Murray, his athleticism and the other stuff has enabled him to maybe maybe skip some steps when it comes to that. Josh Allen's, um, I would say, maybe underrated superpower. I, I don't think we really viewed him as the dual threat that he's become, but he's leaned into that. And that has allowed him to kind of play through some of the mistakes or some of the issues. Because he still, once or twice every game, he still makes a poor decision. He still has a ball that should be intercepted. Uh, he still is a bit of a roller coaster ride at quarterback. But his athleticism saves him. And then his arm talent. His arm talent is ridiculous. So he mm-hmm. can make some things. I think, and looking back at, at Mitchell, he never leaned into his athleticism or the Bears didn't encourage him to lean into him. He came to North Carolina as a dual threat quarterback. And he has never really played like that fully in Chicago. He's never really done the zone read stuff, the sweep stuff, the stuff that we're seeing Taysom Hill and Josh Allen and those guys do. He's never really embraced that part of it. And I don't know if that was a Trubisky decision or Bears decision, but he didn't lean into something that could have allowed him to overcome some of the issues that he might have had as a passer. So let me let me hit you with this question. Um, I know it's really early here, but I've, I've circled the guys here that had under 700 pass attempts, okay? So we've got Trubisky, Josh Allen, Dwayne Haskins, Kyler Murray, Tua. So let's, let's say that, that we're not going to issue a verdict on Tua right now, but I want to get to the question here. So when you look at those guys – the hits so far for the guys under 700, Murray, Josh Allen, 
Those are the hits. Freak, freak shows. Athletes. Freak yeah. shows. All the way around skill set, freak shows. Trubisky doesn't have a rare trait. Yeah. Haskins doesn't, doesn't have a rare trait. Yeah. So the only quarterback in this last draft class that's under 700 is Tua. Does that make you a little bit nervous? Because when I look at Tua, I would say he does not have a – he falls more in line with the other guys than he does with Josh Allen and with Kyler Murray. That, that to me, that, that's why yeah, I, I want to get your yeah, thoughts on that. Yes, 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 yes. I'm concerned, and I'm concerned, and I feel like I've been kind of blinded a little bit by knowing him and seeing him or whatever, but he doesn't have special um, traits. He's not an elite runner. Um the arm talent is, is fine, but he's more of a rhythm passer. Ball yeah. comes out, he he sticks it. But he does he doesn't have superpowers in that in that light. And it is concerning. <laughs> it's concerning because we're seeing these other guys, quarterbacks are being able to survive with their athleticism until they can kind of do it. They can doggy paddle with the athleticism until they learn yeah. how to swim. That's a good way to put but, it. I like that. But if you don't, if you don't have that ability. Man, it's hard. It's, it's hard to make it. It's hard to make it in this league, and yeah. So it's a huge concern, and it impact the way that I look at this position going forward, um, because the athleticism we've talked about it. It has to be kicked up, and also the special traits. Like there are going to be people that talk about other guys in the upcoming classes, and if they don't have, like, I mean, it has to be off the charts arm talent. If you're not an athlete to be able to survive because it's just so hard. It's so hard in this league to do it. And the guys who are really flourishing in the league, they're just really, really special. And I think that is even more apparent DJ, when we watch these things, like watching the kid at Denver that had to go in and it, it was unfair to him, but Kendall hidden. He started games at Wake Forest, right? <laughs> so he started games at Wake Forest. I, I just want people to understand this guy started at a power five school and it was overwhelming in the National Football League. Yeah, so that's how rare those guys are, and I think we need to keep that in mind when we're making these standards. The standard is set – the bar is set high for a reason, um, and everybody shouldn't be able to pass the threshold. Yeah. Look at the guys that are over 1,280. So I just put that that number there. You had Mahomes, big hit. Um, You've got – Jones and Locke, which I think the verdict's still out on them. Uh, Herbert, who's been a, a big hit. So those are the guys who really threw it a ton. Uh, with Herbert and Mahomes, Herbert and Mahomes, I would say tons of throws with phenomenal skill sets. Good combination. Good combination. And I, I would actually, like, I know we, we broke this down in pass attempts. I am still more likely to look at games started. Yeah. Uh, because you know, there's something to the management of the game. It's and experience. Management, the experience of managing a game, understanding situations where the more games you play, the more you're exposed to those situations, the better equipped you are to handle those situations when you move on to the pros. And so I don't know what that magic number is, and we'll do this as we get down the line and we'll talk about it on paths to the draft and all that other stuff, but what is the magic number now? Like Parcells used to have that 23 wins and 30 stars and all that other stuff. It's changed now with the amount of games that these guys play and not everyone is staying in school as long. But there has to be kind of a line of demarcation where it's a, I would like my quarterbacks at a minimum to have 
these amount of starts because I feel yeah. better about their process. I'm gonna look up one thing here real quick because this will uh, this will this will kind of finish this whole thing off here. Um, so we looked at all those numbers, right? And the lowest one over all those years was Kyler Murray at 519 for pass attempts. Okay, Trey Lance 318. He only has 318 318 attempts. attempts. Ooh. 318. So, we, and we all have time in the spring to do it. We'll, we'll get deep. We won't do the deep, deep one right now. But the thing about that is, I would say Trey Lance, though, he fits more into that freaky athlete skill set. Kind of, you know, huge arm can really move around. I think he fits more in the Josh Allen mold than he would in the Tua mold. I'm not saying, you know, not comparing him grade wise to two, but I'm just saying if you look at limited experience, yeah, yeah, but yeah, his experience, not only is it limited, it's a lower level limited. Yeah, that's, um, wow, 318 pass attempts. I did not realize it was that low until I just looked that up. I did not, I knew, yeah, I knew it was a one year plus, but they don't, I mean, they run the ball a lot there. It's a good power running team. So, what I would say, like for a Trey Lance type, so, here, here's here's what I'm saying. I know we're not we're not into mock drafting or whatever, but here's where yeah. Trey Lance would be really really good and really effective. If you're the Indianapolis Colts, and I don't know where they would pick or whatever, right? But let's just say like you're able to bring back Philip Rivers. Let's say Philip Rivers doesn't fall off the cliff in the playoffs, but let's just say yeah. you can bring him back for one more year, right? And then behind that offense, offensive line, running game, you have a defense. You can slowly teach him how to play the game. And kind of like the comforts of a, a situation where you have a veteran quarterback, I think that's going to be really, really important. I, I, I think, you know, talent-wise, he's talented enough to go near the top. But I think for him, in terms of where he may be, it may be a situation where he needs to go at the bottom of the first round to a better team that may already have somebody in place. I don't know. That's think- scary, though. It- it's scary, right? But the interesting thing is he has 192 rushing attempts. So that gives him 500 times of the ball in his hands, basically. Where Tua had 107 rushing attempts, so that's 791. So still significant difference there. Uh, yeah, it, it, it is different. Um, and a lot of it is the kid and the game is fast, and a lot of it is also the coach. And who is he, who is he going to be entrusted too. Like, what is the offense coordinator going to do? Is he going to have a guy like Brian Dayball who can um, take some of the things that he did at North Dakota State and build around this skill set? But, you know, it's funny because uh, Trevor Lawrence will be a two and a half year starter. Justin Fields will be a two year starter. I don't know how, how many snap Zach Wilson, how many years he started at BYU. Uh, I think it's two plus at a minimum. Uh let me just give. I'll just give you Trevor Lawrence here, and then we'll 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 save these college guys when we get later in the year. Yeah. But um, so Trevor Lawrence already thousand thirty two pass attempts over a thousand. Yeah. So to me, like that is when you look at when you look at because really the comparison is going to be uh, Watson. So when you have a ton of attempts at a high level of competition with a tremendous amount of success. Bodes pretty well because I would even put Herbert in there. They won a Rose Bowl. I mean, they won a Rose Bowl. He played a lot of football at a high level. Uh, You know, it just makes it to me. It's easier to go off of. Right. You see more of it. Yeah, you see more of it. 
here's a nugget. Like, it's funny, like when you watch games on Saturday and you see the graphics or whatever, I find yep. myself taking these pictures of the graphics. DJ, <laughs> um, on game day, this was before the game on Saturday. It's like your version of scrapbooking, like a, like a grandma. Yeah. So Trevor Lawrence versus the Blitz. Versus the Blitz, he only completes 39% of his passes. Like he's like 77 against no pressure. But against mm-hmm. the Blitz, he's like 39%. And his passer rating was really, really low. I just don't I don't know how much pressure. So, he will so, so these, are, these are the two uh, talking points you're going to get, right? Because you can make – we can go any way if you want to skew positive or negative. So the Blitz, I've heard about the Blitz number. The other number I've heard of wait, when you compare his air yards – percentage of bubbles and and tunnels like it's off the charts you know yeah so. i just hadn't i just hadn't done it the only That's two coming. games that i have resonated that that are in my book was a the playoffs when he played against lsu and ohio state those back-to-back games he didn't have great games so yeah. those are the games that i always mark down like hey make sure we go back and study those but i hadn't looked at them hard enough this year to be able to give an opinion like oh that matters that doesn't matter whatever yeah. i just know he's really talented I know he has a big arm. I know he's athletic. He can move. I believe the thing that he has done over the offseason actually made me feel better about him as a quarterback, like the stuff that he did in terms of leading uh, Clemson and his teammates. I believe you're getting a more mature leader this year than we would have got like in previous years. I, I think he's more ready for the role and the responsibilities of everything that comes along with it. No doubt. Um, well, this is fun, man. This is an hour went by fast going through all this That's stuff fun. today, Buck. We covered a lot of ground. I thought of the entire episode, I thought Nabil's soundbite was what set it apart. I think. Yeah, that was that was that was really that was really important. We really needed that. That was that was really great. It was a good poll, man. He had my little reaction on there. I I hadn't heard that since the draft day. It was kind of going on the like way back in the screen. Yeah, I was shocked though. I think that was my first year on the desk on on the main desk for the draft. I just remember thinking like I thought they were taking because they traded up. Remember we? I thought they were taking Solomon Thomas. Yeah. Oh man, who hasn't been hasn't been great either, but. Anyways, all right. Uh, anything you want to add before we jump out of here? No, that was good, man. That was good. So we have another one on Thursday. Cover some more ground. Ah, there you go. Thanks to Nabil for all the hard work. Uh, we appreciate him, uh, Mark Brady, the whole team. Uh, I want to give a shout out to to uh, Ryan Bartlett, who does a great job with us on the video show. We don't get a chance to shout him out on that, so we'll shout him out right here. Uh, but anyways, thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll catch you next time right here on Move the Sticks, presented by Zaxby's. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. 
Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.